with me as we read this together. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Hear now God's word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word. And we ask that you would cast aside every distraction that we might truly consider Jesus. We pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, and equip us for service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is hard to overstate the importance that the man Moses had in the thought life and practice of the Jewish people. In fact, I think we could probably say that most Jewish men and women, and probably the children as well, found a sense of their identity in the person of Moses. And for good reason. Uh, We just read from Numbers chapter 12 a pivotal piece, a pivotal statement from the Lord God about the man Moses, this unique uh, relationship that God had with his people through Moses. And uh, God said this, he said, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. So Moses had a unique relationship with God. He had unique access, a unique form of communication uh, with with the Lord. And on top of all that, Moses was a mediator of multiple kinds. Now, kids, a mediator is someone that goes between two people. Uh, so my kids were growing up, oftentimes they would speak with their mother. If they wanted something from me, if they thought that mom might be able to convince me that that's, that was a good Thing to give rather than them coming directly to me if they, they thought that I would give them an unfavorable response. Maybe mom, with her unique relationship with dad, would be able to convince him that this is something that the child should get. And God set up mediators between himself and his people. And you are probably familiar with the three main types of mediators that God had, prophet, priest, and king. A prophet is somebody who speaks to the people on God's behalf. A priest is somebody 
who represents the people in God's presence. And a king is somebody who rules over, leads God's people on God's behalf. And in very real ways, Moses fulfilled each one of these mediator roles. He was a prophet. He was one who spoke to Pharaoh on God's behalf. He was one who spoke to the Israelites on God's behalf. God gave him his word um, to give to the people. The, the first five books of the Bible we attribute as coming from the hand of Moses. But it's also interesting that the, uh, the Israelites considered Moses an apostle. The word apostle really just means one who is sent. And when the Lord called Moses at the burning bush, he said, I will send you to Pharaoh. I will send you to my people. And so in the Jewish mind, they actually regarded Moses as a great apostle sent by God. So he was a, he was a prophet, but he was also a priest. Now you no doubt know that Aaron was appointed by God as the high priest. But in very real ways, Moses functioned as a more perfect priest than even Aaron because a priest is one who comes into God's presence and intercedes on behalf of his people. And Moses did just that. He prayed for God's people. Even Aaron, at the incident with the burning bush, he, in Numbers chapter 12, which we just read, Moses interceded for Aaron. God listened to Moses. So he functioned as a priest, but he was also a kingly figure. God defeated Pharaoh by the hand of Moses. He rescued his people by the hand of Moses. He established his covenant community through the hand of Moses, even the laws that a king would give to his people. He gave through Moses and the community itself, the, the people of Israel, the nation. God established those people through the mediation of Moses. And so he had this very larger-than-life uh, importance in the life of Israel. In fact, in, because of what God said in Numbers chapter 12, the Jewish people viewed Moses as even more important and of greater honor than even the angels. Which is why, as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, you might remember in chapter 2, the author of Hebrews tried to say that Jesus was greater than the angels. And now in chapter 3, he's talking about Jesus is even greater than Moses. It was as if he was saying, not only is Jesus greater than the angels, but he is even greater than Moses. And this importance, this identity in Moses continued up to the time of Christ and even beyond the time of Christ. And so this early church wrestled with their identity in Moses and their identity with Christ and trying to understand how that all fit together. And beloved, we struggle with our identity. And questions of identity are really getting to the question of who am I and where do I belong? 
What is my people? What is my community? And those questions really get tested in the times of trial and suffering. And that's what's going on here in the book of Hebrews is uh, it wasn't just for them, but also for us. We need to understand that our identity is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ and in the community that he has established for us. And so in the midst of those questions, the author of Hebrews wants to establish firm our identity in the person of Jesus Christ. And he does this by saying these things. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. We want to consider Jesus in his greatness and, his, and in his glory, and we want to consider Jesus and know that we are his people. Now, he, there are kind of three different aspects that we need to consider Jesus. One is the, Jesus as our faithful apostle. One is our faithful high priest, but also Jesus as the faithful son over his house. So the, the, the verse begins, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And it may seem funny to call Jesus an apostle. Normally when we think of apostles, we think of the 12 apostles that Jesus sent out with his authority to proclaim the gospel of himself. But students, like we just said, an apostle really just means one who is sent. And scripture is very clear that Jesus himself was sent. He was sent by God. He was the word of God incarnate, sent from the Father to proclaim the gospel of himself. As we read in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But these last days he has spoken to us by his son. He was sent with a message and he is the message. He also said, uh, Jesus himself said in John 17, Father, I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have believed that you sent me. He was sent from the Father to proclaim this gospel message. Moses was faithful to proclaim these things that God had him, but Jesus is greater. He's worthy of greater honor. The uh, Israelites said to Moses uh, in Exodus chapter 20, after he had come down off the mountain, they said, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses was a faithful mediator. But beloved, realize that Jesus is the very word of God who came and spoke face to face with us so that we would never die. He's a greater mediator. He's a greater prophet, a greater apostle. And our passage says that Moses, in verse 5, it says, Moses was faithful to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. And those things that were spoken later were spoken later by Jesus himself, and they referred to him. And we could probably spend all morning considering what Moses testified to, but let's just consider just a few of them. Moses went and defeated Pharaoh by God's power and delivered God's people out of the land of Egypt, but Christ Jesus came 
to defeat the power of the devil and to rescue his people from the power of sin forever and ever. Moses commanded the people to offer sacrifices over and over, but the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, offered himself as a sacrifice once to fully satisfy the wrath of God due to our sin. Moses commanded the Israelites to build a tabernacle because that would be the place where God would dwell with his people. But the Lord Jesus Christ was Emmanuel, which means God with us. He tabernacled with us, God in the flesh. And we have beheld his glory. Moses led the people of Israel through the wilderness up to the bank of the Jordan seeing the promised land from afar. But the Lord Jesus Christ has entered into the promised land of glory and is even now leading his people and will bring many sons to glory. And we could go on and on and on, beloved. But Moses testified to these things. But Jesus is the reality and the fulfillment of these things. And he is ours. So he is the faithful apostle, but he's also the faithful high priest. And we have a hard time with this high priest thing, usually because we focus on the sacrifices. And because we don't offer sacrifices anymore, we lose focus. It doesn't seem like it's that important to us. But beloved, we can't miss the point of the high priest and the point of the sacrifices. And the point is this, access into the presence of the Almighty God. We need a mediator to enter into the, the, the presence of the Almighty God. You might remember that uh, in the Old Testament, there was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that was where it was believed that God's presence was on earth, where God uh, dwelt with his people, but the Israelites couldn't go in there. Only the high priest the man who was selected by God himself and only after sacrifices to purify himself and he had bathed and he put on the proper clothing including a turban that said with something that said holy to the Lord and only one day a year could he go into God's presence. And that that access was so important because he was representing God's people. He was interceding for those people, praying for them. He had the attention of God himself. And Moses, uh, in Numbers 12, it says that God spoke with him face to face. And, And Moses beheld the form of the Lord. There was a unique access that Moses had. He interceded for his people. But as great as that was, beloved, Jesus was greater because Jesus, the man Jesus, has been exalted to God's right hand and now beholds the glory of God face to face forever and ever. He, not, not one day a year, every moment for all eternity, interceding for you. And in him, we have access. We have access to him. We need that mediator. And that access is in not just him representing us there, but it is an intimate union. 
The Lord Jesus Christ took on human flesh, partook of the same things as us to be united to us, to be like us. And as he poured out his spirit, the spirit that dwelt in him, that spirit dwells in us. So we have now union with him. So in Christ Jesus, by the power of the spirit, even now we have access with the Father. And we know that's true because we're declared holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. We have been fit for heaven by the holiness of our high priest, Jesus Christ. And even now by his spirit, he is purifying us for eternal access in God's presence. So he's our faithful high, high priest in addition to our faithful apostle, but we also need to consider that Jesus is the faithful son over his house. Beloved, in Scripture, a house could be either a building, which if we're talking about God's house, we would probably mean a temple, a place where God resides. So it's either a building or it's a family, a dynasty. Um, we might talk about the house of Windsor, which refers to Queen Elizabeth and her children and all their descendants. It's a family or a dynasty. And we see both of those uses in Scripture referring to God's house. First Samuel 2, uh, God is speaking to Eli and he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest and I will build him a sure house. This is a, a priest who's uh, serving in God's house, the, the temple. And God is saying, I will build him a sure house, a, a family. And you might remember that if, a little bit later, David, King David, had desired to build a temple for the Lord God. He, David lived in a palace, but the ark of God had only ever been in a tent. And David said, I want to build a, a house for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, no, you will not build a house. I will build a house for you. I will build for you a dynasty, but you will have a son. And he says this in First Chronicles 17, 12. Your son, he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And these promises, these promises to Eli, to David, they were made and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the faithful son who is building his house, whom God has given a, a household, a family. So Moses was faithful in God's house, but he was faithful as a servant, it says. But the Lord Jesus is faithful over the house as a son with more glory just as the builder of the house would have more glory than the house itself. But notice, beloved, it's the same house. It's the same house. It's God's house that God is building, who was building it in Moses. And Moses was over in it as a servant, serving faithfully. But now Jesus is over it as a son. And so if there was a strength of the community in the people of Israel, if there was a beauty to that structure under Moses, how much greater is it in Jesus Christ? How much greater is what we have in Jesus Christ 
than what was even there in under Moses. And that, that, that house, we would now call it the church of the living God. Paul says this um, in Ephesians 2, you are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord and in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a structure and it is a family. It is a house that God himself, Christ himself is building up and Christ is over that house. And verse 6 tells us that that's us. That's what we have to benefit from. It says, and we are his house with a kicker. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And words like those at the end are very concerning to us because we know that our hearts have a slippery grip. <laughs> and it's hard to hold fast when our hearts slip. But beloved, we need to recognize that this, the, the force of that statement is not so much a warning as it is an exhortation. As if to say, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful apostle, and because he is our faithful high priest, and because he is the faithful son over his house, therefore let us hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, one of our... Uh, signature doctrines, reform doctrines that we held. Uh, if you know the acrostic tulip, uh, one of the five points of reform doctrine is the P, which is either perseverance or preservation of the saints. And I say either, even though those two things are very different. Perseverance or preservation. Are we persevering? Is it something that we're doing? Or is it preservation that God is preserving us? And I say either or because those are really like photo negatives of each other. Because we know with certainty that the sovereign God is preserving us. He is bringing many sons to glory, as we heard a few weeks ago. But we also receive commands in Scripture to persevere. We must hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We must persevere in the midst of our lives. And they work together in that God preserves his people as we persevere. And we persevere only because God is preserving us. Those two things work together. But beloved, don't miss the means by which God preserves his people, how he preserves you and me. It is through the work of Christ by his spirit in the building of the house itself. In this holy family, in this holy temple. Now we are so, uh, we breathe this individualistic air we've been talking about in Sunday school recently. We breathe it so much that perhaps you missed how much in this passage is oriented towards the community of God's people. Let's look at it again. Therefore, holy brothers, you, plural, who share in a singular heavenly calling, 
consider Jesus the singular apostle and high priest of our confession. And then further on it says now, um, Christ is faithful over God's house, singular, as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Beloved, it is over and over and over. The blessings that we have in Christ Jesus are ours, but ours together. We experience these things together. We consider Jesus together. Together we are God's house. Together we hold fast together. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. We belong to him, but in this house, in this building in this structure, in this family, because of who he is and what he has done. He is the foundation and the center point of this community, which has remarkable and important implications for us, doesn't it? Because students, how many houses are there? How many families? It's not a subdivision. It is a house. It's not an extended family. It is a single family of brothers and sisters. We've been talking about how, in Sunday school, about how the church in our culture has a laissez-faire, a hands-off approach to one another. You do you, I'll do me. Don't mess with me, my business. I won't mess with your business. Which, beloved, that works just fine if we're talking about our neighbors in our subdivision or we're talking about our uncle or our cousin. But not when we're talking about brothers and sisters who reside in the same house. If you live with brothers and sisters in the same family, in the same house, you hold one another accountable to one another. You rub off, you affect one another, you grow up together. And we are so affected by our culture of independence and individual autonomy that we struggle to obtain that intimate community that we were designed to have, that is God's prescription for us to have, that we long for. And I say we long for it, but that's only half true. We long for it, but we also fear it. Isn't that true? Um, We ache for that intimacy with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that, uh, that desire to be known, the desire to know one another, to bless one another. And yet, um, there are imperfect parts of ourselves or parts of our story that we... Uh, fear revealing to one another. Um, last time we moved, I w- uh, was very disappointed in the process of trying to find a house that we could buy um, because over and over, as our realtor would take us to different houses, I w- uh, we would see this beautiful curb appeal of a house and get very excited. And then we'd go inside, and the inside of the house uh, was very different. Uh, It was not nearly what we expected based upon the outside. And beloved, the reality is that for many of us, we focus so much on prettying up the outside, but we deadbolt the front door because we don't want anyone to see 
the mess that is inside. And on top of all that, we're hesitant because we know that relationships are messy. We know that intimacy is messy. It's time-consuming. It's frustrating. And we've got our own stuff to deal with, let alone to be entering into other people's lives. But beloved, Christ Jesus knows what's going on inside. He knows, he has seen the inside, and in the midst of that, he has put us together as brothers and sisters. And his intent is that we would be in community and in fellowship with one another. Beloved, our Savior is building his house. It is a it is house that, that builds itself up in love as we show each other Christ. We, we remember to consider Christ in every aspect of our life. And the design is to be open and transparent with one another because hiding is not safe. Scripture is clear about that. You know, we live in this age, this internet age, where digital privacy is an important safeguard that we need to be mindful of. But we can let that desire for privacy seep into our hearts too far where we, won't, we don't want anyone in. And it can be destructive to a godly community. I mean, consider the, for just a moment the privacy, the level of privacy that the Israelites had as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, a late-night argument between a married couple would have been heard. And rebellious children would have been seen. And the laziness of members of the community would have been felt by the members of the community. But, beloved, the beauty of that was that when it was seen and heard and felt, the covenant community could come alongside one another, hold one another accountable, speak into their lives, help out when necessary, uh, and be a blessing for each other. And together they could hold, help hold each other accountable to build each other up in this faith and to hold fast their confidence and boasting in their hope. And beloved, what we have is greater than what they had. But the expectation the Lord Jesus Christ has for his community is the same. Um, if it was there for Moses, it should be there even in greater measure for Christ. The expectation is that we would pursue the unity and fellowship that is ours in Christ Jesus. This house, this family ought to be a house of joy, knowing of the blessings that we together have received in Christ Jesus. And it's one that requires us to pursue each other with humility and intentionality. And beloved, don't forget, like you, we never choose our brothers and sisters. But our Heavenly Father has chosen your brothers and sisters for you. Aren't you at least a little curious to know the people whom God in his wisdom and love has chosen to be with you for all eternity. To uh, these are these are gifts that God has given to you. They're exactly what you need 
in order to be able to stand firm, to grow in grace, to even expose the things in your heart, and to grow in godliness. So we must pursue that community and that fellowship. So this, we spent a long time talking about how we could best do this. Um, and in the interest of time, I'm going to suggest to you three characteristics of godly fellowship and community that we need to pursue, and also three venues that God gives us for that fellowship where we can see this work out. And when it comes to characteristics, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is building his house, so those characteristics of the house will reflect his character. So as the great and faithful apostle, we ought to expect that the ministry of the word that we experience with one another is a foundation of true fellowship and unity. We need to teach and rebuke and correct and instruct and encourage and exhort and speak of the hope that we have with one another in our lives. Informally, formally, the word of God is our means, our message of hope. As the great high priest we ought to expect that part, a foundation of this fellowship would be prayer. Beloved, it would be a wonderful thing if each one of us here was diligent in praying for each one of your brothers and sisters. The Lord hears your prayers. In Christ Jesus, you have access to the Father's ear. We have the opportunity to and the benefit and the honor to be able to hold one another up in prayer, to bless one another in prayer. And thirdly, this is the faithful son who was not ashamed to call us brothers. So a characteristic of godly fellowship would be brotherly affection, joy, enjoying one another, uh, doing this with full-throated joy. And as far as three venues... Lord's Day worship is one place where we truly grow in fellowship with one another. It's not an uh, optional activity for us in the midst of the other busyness of life. This is the foundation and the centerpiece of our fellowship in Jesus Christ, where we gather together as a family to praise our Heavenly Father, His Son, by the Holy Spirit, which gathers us together in unity and joy and delight. A second venue is the Lord Jesus Christ told us, commanded us to make disciples. And so discipleship ministries is a place where we can exercise this fellowship and grow together. And here at Zion, we talk about discipleship ministries such as Sunday school and adult Bible study and men's ministry, women's ministry, youth group, kids' ministry. We could even consider one-on-one -on -one discipleship ministries, these means of being able to grow together in Christ, in fellowship, in joy, in intimacy, speaking the hope that we have in Christ. And the third venue, which is probably the hardest for most of us here, is hospitality, practicing hospitality. And beloved, Hospitality is not an optional activity for the Christian life. We are commanded to practice 
hospitality. Elders, men, are qualified to be elders if they are hospitable. And in our culture, a lack of hospitality is one of those respectable sins that we don't talk too much about. But beloved, it is a sin, just the same. Because it's for our good, it's for the benefit of the the family, the benefit of the structure that we would invite one another into each other's homes, into each other's lives, and to enter into each other's lives. It is a means of building up that community. If it, and if it's something that we are commanded, it is good for, for you and for me, and it is essential to our faithfulness in the Lord. So, beloved, make time for your brothers and sisters. Be intentional. And the reason, beloved, is because of what's right there in verse, verse 1. We share in a heavenly calling. We share in a heavenly calling. We have been joined together into this structure, into this house, into this family. And it's not just here on earth. This is a heavenly calling. We will be spending eternity with one another, beloved. And even now, the Lord Jesus Christ is building up his house working through you and through me to build this house up in love. So, beloved, let us consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us together hold fast our confidence in our boasting in love because the Lord Jesus Christ is building his house. Even through you and through me, he will be faithful. He is faithful. He will surely do it for his glory and for our benefit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift that you have given us of one another. Help us to cherish that gift and to be good stewards of that gift. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would build your church even through us. I pray that you would establish this community of faith as a place where we can point one another to Christ and consider Christ in everything that we do. Encourage our hearts. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.